Welcome to First Baptist Church of Terrytown, sharing God's love and hope around the world. Our prayer is that your life is transformed as you hear the Word of God preached today. So we're going through the book of Daniel, and as we saw last week, Daniel, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he was humbled by God until he came to a place where he learned to appreciate God's authority in his life. Generally speaking, though, authority is a negative connotation. We don't want to, human beings don't want to deal with authority. Whether you are children or you are adults, we don't like authority. We fight against authority. How many of you get pulled over for speeding and think, wow, I deserve this. Thank you, officer, for stopping my speeding ways and breaking the law. Nobody thinks that, right? We're not grateful for the authority and slowing down. I have a friend who's an LAPD officer, and for a time, whenever he'd pull somebody over, they're like, shouldn't you be catching? murderers, and he'd always say, well, actually, more people die and are killed and maimed in car accidents for driving the way you drove than, uh, than through all of that other, other stuff. So I'm helping you, right? He would explain to them. And did they appreciate it after he explained? No. Nobody appreciates it. We generally don't like authority. And if you don't think that we human beings don't like authority, all you have to do is sign up at your local school to be a substitute teacher. How do children respond to substitute teachers. Yeah, they're the worst. You can take the best kid, the absolute best rule-following kid, and something in their mind breaks when they see a substitute teacher, doesn't it? They see that sub and go, wow, this person doesn't know the rules. They don't really belong here. Come, children, with me. We take the classroom today. It's horrible. It's hor- We've all sat through that, watching the chaos. Probably many of us, myself included, have lived through that, adding to the chaos. We don't like authority, even though we saw last week that God's authority, unlike man's imperfect authority, God's authority is like boundaries, right? It, it protects us. It's like the, the liner in a pool. If you don't have the liner in a pool, you, all you have is a wet ground. All you have is a wet ground. And yet, we understand that intellectually. I understand that intellectually, that God's authority is a good thing. And yet, I still continue to sin as a Christian. And we continue to sin as a Christian. What happens when people challenge God's authority? What happens when we challenge God's authority? And you're going to get sick of hearing me say this, but but sin isn't merely the little things that we do. Sin is a state of being where we're shaking our fist at God, saying, I'm the God of my own life. You can't tell me what to do. We do that in a variety of ways, don't we? What happens when we challenge God's authority? So as we return to the book of Daniel... This text fast-forwards about 30 years from the previous one. So at this point, Daniel is about 80 years old, give or take five years. He's about 80. No longer is he this young man who is taken into captivity by the Babylonian Empire. He's no longer one of the youth. He is roughly 80 years old as he has served faithfully and successfully in godless Babylon for all these years. We pick up the story here in chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and the silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought 
that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So what's happening here, King Belshazzar, and actually up until recently, a lot of scholars would look at the book of Daniel and they say, ha-ha, this is how we know that the book of Daniel is all made up because there is no record of King Belshazzar in, uh, in history. Well, they've actually found records of who this is. And what's happening right now is the Medo-Persian army is surrounding the kingdom of Babylon. They can't get through because they have double walls that are just gigantic and huge and thick. And they can't get through, but they've laid siege. But it's okay because the kingdom of Babylon, they can live in there for years without any supplies coming in or out. That's how, how mighty and powerful and wealthy they were. And uh, what likely happened is Belshazzar's father absconded, ran away, and left. And so now this is his son who is technically the king, but he's the next in line. He's acting like the king. All the lords are treating him like the king. He's demanding being called king. So he's the king. He's the king. And he calls and has, if you remember, when King Nebuchadnezzar laid siege to Jerusalem and took uh, Judah into captivity, he took some of the vessels, the, the, the cups and the chalices from the temple, the holy temple, which were only to be used to worship Yahweh, the one true God. He took them and he put them in the storehouse of his own gods as if to say, ha ha, my gods are more powerful than your God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar, as we saw last week, I think he repented. He realized that the God of Israel was the one true God. But that didn't translate because now his presumably grandson comes in, gets the vessels and starts drinking them, drinking from them, saying, I am more powerful than the one true God. Our gods in Babylon are more powerful. We we live this way, don't we? We think that God doesn't really care. God doesn't mind. God doesn't care if we do whatever we want to do. You know what? I've done bad things before, and God hasn't responded I've sinned and I haven't paid any penalties for it, either divine or local. So what happens when we challenge God? Nothing. He doesn't care, we would think. You might see yourself here in the book of Romans chapter 1 after Paul talks about humanity's fall in Genesis 3, how God gave us over to a depraved mind, how he gave us over to any sexual desire that we have, which is not healthy because God did design sex. It was his idea, but it's to be appreciated within the bonds of marriage, and humanity has has messed that up. It's warped it. Uh, all of us have, have sin gone stray. He continues to this line of thought, and he gives us kind of a list of, of sins that people have committed since Genesis 3. So this includes us all. He says, because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. Don't get hung up on murder because you're like, oh, I'm scot-free. Envy? Yeah, most of us are there. Quarrels? Yeah. Just go on social media or read the comments on YouTube. Deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers. Oh my goodness. Again, social media. God haters, 
arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence and those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. <laughs> that sounds like he wrote that today about the United States of America. And yet, it's not. It's about all of humanity through all time, shaking our fist at God, you can't tell me what to do. Hopefully, you see yourself in there. I see myself in there. Slanderers, oh my goodness, how I talk about my enemies or people that I don't like or people who have different ideologies from me. <sighs> and yet, we continue to persist God's not going to do anything. He doesn't care. It doesn't matter. What happens if we challenge God's authority? You're all still living, breathing, walking around, right? So was King Belshazzar. Verse 5. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. The king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. So he challenges God, I am more strong than you, I am more powerful, I am better. Our gods can defeat you. And immediately a human hand appears. We don't know exactly what it looks like. We don't know exactly what this is. Is it an angel that, that manifested a hand? Is it, is it some, some creature that God created to work on there? And how does it draw? Is it drawing with a piece of chalk on the wall? Is it drawing in blood? We don't know, but whatever it was, it says the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, so he collapsed in terror, and his knees knocked together, which is a euphemism for he soiled his pants. He was so scared. Have you ever been that scared before? I don't mean someone jumped out of the closet. Blah, and you're, ah, I don't mean that kind of thing. I mean genuinely terrified. This doesn't seem all that terrifying to us, but, but if you remember, he just shook his fist at God, and God showed up. Think about when you have been absolutely terrified. I can remember years ago, and we received a gigantic folder in the mail from the IRS. That's scary. I remember years ago, we were in our home in California. I was in my home in California. My wife was away visiting her sister. And I woke up, and the window right next to me, there is a loud boom, 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 boom on the window. Terrified. Uh, when I first went to Vietnam, I didn't know anything. I didn't know anyone. I came into the airport by myself at night, got into a taxi by myself at night, did not realize that the distance between Hanoi Airport and Hanoi, uh, the city, it was about 45 minutes. I get into this taxi and their driving techniques are totally different. You know, they, they like to like drive around and sideswipe people and almost run into things. And it's terrifying. I don't know anything. I don't know anyone. Is he going to bring me to my hotel? Is he bringing me somewhere else for ransom? Who knows? I don't know. They don't speak the language. Scary. I was one time doing missions and got into an elevator, and then a man in full military regalia with two uh, soldiers got into the elevator with me and began interrogating me in the elevator. Told me they knew what room number I was sleeping in. 
terror. I remember I was having a dream, but it wasn't a dream. It was one of those moments where I was sleeping. I knew I was sleeping and aware, and I felt this supernatural presence oppressing me, and it was heavy and dark and evil, and it was everything I could do, every ounce of willpower to speak the name of Jesus. What happens when we challenge God's authority? Seven, verse seven, the king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be made third ruler in the kingdom. That, by the way, that's a weird thing. The third ruler in the kingdom, this is a good indicator of my interpretation of who Belshazzar is. He's the, king, the rightful king's son. The king has fled. So the king, who's Belshazzar, is number two, and that would make whoever interprets this writing number three. Shall be the third ruler in the kingdom, verse eight, and the, all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. So there's writing on the wall, but he can't read it. They don't understand it. It's in a script and a dialect and no one understands what it is. I mean, can you imagine if you come home to your house and you find graffiti on your front door? That's a terrifying thing. No one's thinking when you see someone graffitiing your front door, like, oh, someone left me a nice note here. Hmm, I wonder what this is all about, right? No, it's always a terrible thing for someone to deface your front door. Now, if you don't understand the language on that front door, are you over here going, well, I can't understand it, so maybe it was a nice greeting. Who knows, right? No, of course, it's worse. What does it mean? Imagine you get a letter in the mail, and it's like, like someone cut out uh, letters from a magazine to put a, a, a horrible note to you, right? And you look at that and go, oh, no, what is this? Oh, I can't read it. It's in a different language. Eh, probably means nothing. No big deal. Set it aside. Go about your day. No, of course not. That's worse. It's terrifying. Someone wants me dead, and I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know why I can't read this. What happens when we challenge God's authority? Verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the kings and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, by the way, this is probably the queen mother, so maybe Nebuchadnezzar's wife, or maybe the wife, uh, maybe uh, Belshazzar's mother, or one of his uh, father's wives, uh, she's the queen mother, I think we can get from this context, because we know that all of his wives and concubine were already in the, uh, the hall with him. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever, let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and the astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. 
Then Daniel was brought before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise man, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. But if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, when he references King Nebuchadnezzar as his father, that's, again, an ancient Near East way of saying my predecessor or one of my predecessors. He could talk about his great-great-great-grandfather as his father. That was a normal thing. So that's why I think he's referring to him as his father, his, his predecessor. But the queen mother, she comes in and she says, don't worry, don't worry, we know a guy and he's going to figure it all out. You hear those voices, don't you? I hear those voices in this society. Wow, I'm terrified, I'm scared of God's judgment. Don't be scared of God's judgment. He doesn't care what you do. And if even he does, he's not going to bring judgment or justice to you. It doesn't matter what we do with our lives. It doesn't matter how many lies you tell. And actually, we were with the young adult group recently, and we were talking about one of, the, one of the ethical things that people struggle with today. And I was amazed. They said, lying, right? And that happens often professionally, lying. And then, and then I went online like the next day, and there was an article, a study had come out that millennials lie more than any other generation. Which, you know, I'm an old millennial, so I was very offended at that. <laughs> but I, was, I appreciated the insight. I was like, oh, they already, you guys have the finger on the pulse of our society and our culture, right? It doesn't matter if you lie. God doesn't care. It doesn't matter. That's what the queen is saying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you uh, ignore God. It doesn't matter if you revile the poor and don't care for them. It doesn't matter if you are angry and hateful. It doesn't matter if you cause divisions among people needlessly. It doesn't matter how much hate you have in your heart. It doesn't matter what you do sexually. It doesn't matter what you do with your money or your finances, all of this. We hear that voice over and over in our society, don't we? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. There was a billboard that a bunch of uh, uh, UK atheists took out and they put on buses all over the UK that said, God probably doesn't exist, so don't worry. Don't worry. That's That's what the queen says. What happens if we challenge God? Eh, it doesn't matter. He doesn't care. Or he doesn't even exist. Verse 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he raised up. And whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne. And his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. 
And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house you have brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. Wow. Let me ask you a question. Is Daniel being um, abusive here to Belshazzar? Here's the thing. Um, Spiritual abuse is a real thing. Spiritual abuse happens when someone in spiritual authority, like a pastor or an elder or a Sunday school teacher, uh, when they misuse their authority over an individual. Because all authority in the church is used to serve others. That is what authority is in the church. Uh, The pastor should be called the chief servant, I think. Uh, When spiritual abuse happens is when that flips around and the pastor or the elder thinks that the church exists to serve them. When they think, oh, you're here to serve me. Or they tell you something as if God had said it, but God never said it. Or they manipulate you in order to get you to do something for them that that they ought not to do. Or they use guilt in order to control you, and they fail to give you the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think that's what Daniel's doing here. I think what Daniel's doing here is not spiritual abuse, but it's important to make that distinction. He is challenging his sin. It's not spiritual abuse to challenge sin. Now, Daniel is coming at a really high rate. He doesn't come in here and say, oh, Belshazzar. you're having a hard time, you've sinned. Like, he's not gentle here. He's, like, really forceful and angry. Typically, when you confront people in sin, if you look at Matthew 18, the way that you confront people in sin is as gentle as possible. If you read through all of Matthew 18, what Jesus is saying, be as gentle as possible. Start down here, really low, gentle, and if they don't listen, you get a little less gentle, and you keep going, and you keep going until you have to bring more people involved, right? But, but the idea is be as gentle as possible. If someone is in a sin, especially if it's sin that's hurting themselves and other people, be as gentle as possible. Don't go in there, guns a-blazing. Well, Daniel comes in here, he's at level 87, right? <laughs> and I think part of that is because Belshazzar, like there's no time, first of all, and Belshazzar, I mean, he's done something absolutely atrocious and horrendous. And the time, Daniel knows what's going on. The time is like, this isn't time for me to be gentle with you. Like if you don't act now, thing, bad things are going to happen today. Right? So he has to start up here. But generally speaking, we don't confront people the way Daniel did just here, unless it's something absolutely egregious and you have to deal with it right that second, right in that way. I don't think he's being spiritually abusive, but I think he's, uh, he's being forceful. And it's not abusive to confront sin, especially if love is ultimately uh, in mind. Verse 25, and this is the writing that was inscribed, mene, mene, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. So Mene is mentioned twice. He's saying emphatically, there is nothing you can do. There is nothing that can happen. Your kingdom is over. The kingdom of Babylon ends tonight. And then verse 27, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. God has looked at your morality, your ethics, 
and there is nothing there, nothing worthwhile. Verse 28, Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. So your kingdom, it doesn't mean divide between the Medes and the Persians. This is the meadow Persian army that's camped around outside of Babylon right now. Uh, He's saying it's divided. It is cut off from you, Babylon. It's over. Verse 29, or excuse me, like this is the consequences catching up, right? This is the consequences of the godless and unethical and immoral kingdom of Babylon finally coming to catch up to them. They've abused the surrounding countries so much that the Meadow Persians, they join together, they join into a force that will eventually overrun Babylon. This is the natural consequences of life. We all hate natural consequences, but there are natural consequences to life, right? Right? If you commit adultery, man, like you can, you can uh, get diseases and you can, uh, uh, there can be a child out of wedlock, right? That, it's just a natural consequence. If, um, if you abuse, abuse drugs, there's diseases that you can get. It's a natural consequence. If you jump off the roof and you break your leg, that's a natural consequence. It's just what we do to ourselves. If you lie and you're caught and you lose your job or you lose respect or you lose trust, right? That's a natural consequence. It's a natural consequence. What happens when we challenge God? Verse 29, then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. (laughs) How useful is that title? (laughs) There is an army around them. That is, that is like me, me saying, hey, Grace, here is a gift card. It's got 27 cents to McDonald's on it. Enjoy. <laughs> Absolutely worthless. It's just not helpful. It's interesting to see what Belshazzar did here. When you're caught in sin and you're confronted doing wrong, what should your response be? What should you do? Repent. Right? I was wrong. I repented. Did Belshazzar do that? No. He goes, well, here, have the McDonald's gift card. Enjoy. I'm going to clothe you in purple gold chain, which, if anything, that's, that's a liability. Now Daniel's a target for the army that's coming in. <laughs> I'm sure immediately Daniel's like, eh, don't want any of that. No. He should have repented. Ah, now we're to the real big idea. It's not just a matter of challenging God's authority. We all do that when we sin. What happens when we fail to repent after we have challenged God's authority? Someone confronts us, God convicts us, and we say, no thanks, I don't care. I'm going to live the life I want to live. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. What happens when we fail to repent? What happened to Belshazzar? That night, that very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. When we don't repent after we've challenged God's authority, God brings judgment. It might be in this life immediately with consequences. It might be in the life to come, but he brings judgment. Judgment. Here's the thing, though. 
I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, the guy, again, was a psychopath. And as I said last week, I think he genuinely was transformed. I think we will see him in eternity because, again, they were saved in the Old Testament the same way we are saved through faith, by trusting in God. We have a better understanding of the object of that trust, the Lord Jesus Christ, and how it all works through his death, burial, and resurrection. But they're saved the same way. Nebuchadnezzar eventually repented of his arrogance, acknowledged that God was king, and he was restored. I think Belshazzar, I don't think the kingdom would have been saved if, if he had repented, but you know what would have been saved? His life. I think if he had repented, I think God very well could have saved his life, but you know what? Even if he died, guess what? He inherits eternity instead of separation from God. When we don't repent after we've challenged God's authority, after we've sinned, God brings justice. He brings judgment. Church, there is no sin that goes unpunished. None. There is no sin that goes unpunished. You can either, you can either choose to bear the penalty of your sin yourself or you can allow Jesus to bear the penalty of it. You can trust that Jesus died for your sins and rose again. No sin goes unpunished. You either pay for it yourself, or you can allow the Lord Jesus to pay for it. But no sin goes unpunished. And that is the beauty of repentance. Yes, I understand. Repentance is hard. Yes, it's humiliating. Yes, sometimes it becomes public. Yeah, I messed up. Yeah, I cheated on my spouse. Yeah, I, I was addicted to pornography. Yeah, I, I really screwed up with, with drugs or alcohol. Yes, I, was, I, I lied about this account. Yes, I've been arrogant. Yes, I have, have been ungrateful. Yeah, I've misrepresented Jesus by, by not being loving and gracious and peaceful and kind and gentle and all the fruit of the Spirit while I've interacted with people I consider my enemies or at least my ideological counterparts. Repentance is hard, but it is freeing. Oftentimes when we repent, God does remove those consequences. Sometimes we have the natural consequences to deal with. You remember King David when he abused Bathsheba and then, and then murdered her husband? There were still natural consequences, but you know what? When he repented, God chose not to kill him. Because God was about to kill David for what he did, but he repented and he allowed him to live. And he still calls him a man after God's own heart. Repentance is like that reset button. Repentance, it, it clears us. And yes, sometimes there's natural consequences in this life that we have to deal with because of our actions. Ultimately, when we face Jesus face to face, he will remember our sins no more. He won't hold them against us. When God looks at us, he sees us with the righteousness of Christ clothed upon us. There is no sin that goes unpunished. You either pay for it or you let Jesus pay for it. Choose to follow Jesus. Choose to trust him. And the way we do that is we repent. If, you have, if you're struggling with something, church, repent a thousand times a day. Repent over and over and over again. And 1 John tells us that he is faithful to purify us from all unrighteousness. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to purify us of all unrighteousness. When you fall down, repent and get back up in the name and the power of Jesus. When we fail to repent after challenging God's authority, judgment comes. 
be quick to repent. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we have Belshazzar to look at and to see the quickest way to ruin our lives is to challenge your authority and when we're called out on it, to not repent. Father, as we have this baptism coming up, this is such a beautiful time that we can be reminded that we remember that in Christ Jesus, our sins have been forgiven. Thank you for the gift of repentance. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it humbles us. Yes, it's difficult. But it is so healing. Repentance to our fellow neighbors and friends and family members. That restores relationships. Father, I can count on one hand the number of times I've been apologized to as an adult. But I can remember every single time there is healing when we apologize to others. And even more, when we repent to you, Father God, you restore us and you give us power. And the amazing thing is, if we stumble a thousand times a day, you continue to restore us over and over and over again. Help us to walk in freedom. Help us when we repent to to see ourselves as you see us, with the righteousness of Christ around us, covered in the blood of Jesus, purifying us from all unrighteousness. Help us to realize your grace lifts us up and changes us and transforms us. Thank you for this gift of repentance and forgiveness. Change our hearts. May we be quick to repent and receive the glory of a renewed relationship with you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about the church or make an online donation, please visit us at fbcterrytown.org.